the next mile, the brave side to the blind man, we down to the left child, we will survive, in this country wilderness, swimming through the waters of Babylon, like a rebel fish, jobless, specialist, predatory and survivalist, spitting heaven, fire from his lips, burning slave driver. to time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4.6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people We'll turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Though thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your hosts, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live audio at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. We're streaming at a beat. BB2Me.com. That's A B I B I T I B I T U M I dot com forward slash time for the awakening. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn Radio is a free radio app. In that TuneIn search engine, you can type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had a Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection again that's time for an awakening radio program with a live stream on the tune in radio app drop us an email at time for an awakening at gmail.com again that's time for an awakening at gmail.com time for an awakening also has a fan page on facebook in that facebook search engine you can type in time for an awakening radio program there you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or brother richard and do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's time for an awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook and time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on time for an awakening media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an awakening marketplace and our partnership with the BB to me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.08 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening Tonight, uh, open forum this evening. You're the special guest this evening. You can join the conversation, raise some topics, and you can do that by dialing 215 490 
That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You're listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. 
most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back. The Time for an Awakening is 7.13 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Uh, before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing fine. <clears throat> well, Elliot, we uh, we go into another another year of uh, the acknowledgement of of the King of the work that Mr. Um, Dr. King had um, done. So uh, I'm wondering um, what we think about this as we kind of reflect. But for me personally, today the chill is coming on, but I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I seen. Uh, I looked out the window, seen the little snow squalls there earlier. I, I, I knew you was probably shaking in your boots there, Richard. I'm, I'm telling you, hey, 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 Elliot. I, should, I know I shouldn't say this because uh, you know we, me and my brothers and my family, you know, siblings were going back and forth. And my brother said, you know, like I'm getting ready to retire. I'm I'm thinking about Texas and uh, what do you say, Texas and Georgia. I got to get out of this cold. I said, yep. I'm thinking the same thing. So we started, trying, you know. Oh, 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 your brothers relocated. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Like we, it must be something to us, boy. We like this cold. We didn't, we didn't put up with it enough. But that's that's uh, here nor there compared to as uh, Gil Scott Heron said, the chill is occurring in America. Um, but you know, Elliot, if I may, the one thing that I was thinking about. You know, again, I mentioned, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, as this election rolls around, you, do you know, um, maybe I'm wrong, I haven't heard anything, uh, any kind of discussion um, about poor people. Um, maybe, you know, because I don't listen to the major media. Have you heard anything in relationship to any kind of policies or agenda items that deal with the poor? Well, no, and you won't, Richard. And you know why? Because because the uh, the Democratic mantra, I ain't even talking about Republicans. The Democratic mantra is uh, the party of the middle class. They always talk about the middle class, uh, and and they've basically instructed black politicians to do the same. When uh, most of our people in this country don't fall in that bracket, but they right. weren't. I mean, they've been instructed. Everything that you see with this black leadership, they're instructed by Europeans, and they carry out instructions by and large. So you won't hear them talk about that. You you just won't. And you definitely ain't going to hear the leadership talking about it. All they're talking about is the middle class. And, and it's going to be interesting to to hear as you know all the the um, discussion that ramps up tomorrow. You know because of this. A national holiday, and 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 believe me, I take nothing away from um, Dr. King and his work. Well, you know what he, the commitment he gave um, 
to um, black people specifically and, and to black people. I don't know about America in general, but to black people, I would say Dr. King um, gave his life um, as, as a sign of his commitment to black people. Um, he started out young and he kind of really um, was executed when he was young. I mean, when he was in his 30s. Yeah, 39. <clears throat> yeah. So, I, I, but but the one thing that, you know, the reason why I'm bringing that up, because I don't I don't know, and again, it's another thing you or others can help. I haven't heard anybody bring up his commitment to, to the Poor People Campaign. Like, in all these national celebrations, I hear, you know, like, what's that, day of service and all that. But in relationship to dealing with the poor, and and it's a reason why I bring this up because a lot of, as you say, the black, this black leadership, political leadership class within the Democratic Party, it seems that the code word to deal with that is public safety, and and that that translates into more cops. That's that's what I'm saying. But if you remember, especially after the well, black folks always been complaining about the police. For for centuries, ever since it was patty rolls. But you know, after that George Floyd, when uh, things came to a crescendo, and black people was really complaining about these cops, uh, they you know, white America always supported the police. They'd kiss a cop. They loved the police. So they, the white politicians, basically instructed blacks. Black black leadership to stop talking about police. In fact, you heard that leaked. Uh, audio when Biden was admonishing them about talking and there's several of not only black politicians was there you had black quote unquote civil rights leaders like Sharpton and others were there when they was instructed to stop screaming about the police so they just changed the language and like Dr. King said get the language right they changed mm-hmm. the language and start talking about public safety which which um, also you know which also brings up you know even how the when they do talk about it, um, you know, especially the black poor, because right now um, we're looking at, you know, in, in this in this moment, and 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 hopefully I'm I'm doing justice in tying those two things together. Um, the not just the black um, political class, but the black middle class, whatever that means, and I'm I'm really um, confused of how. And y'all can help me out on this. How do we define the black middle class, right? But the the way they're um, characterizing, because you have to justify, not only get the language right in relationship to not calling it asking for more police, but now you're calling the public safety to deal with the poor. And primarily you're talking about young poor, right? Young um, black males. But the thing of how the poor is characterized in this society is that it's their individual choices. That's the problem compared to that is structural racism within America that has created a culture of poverty. And that, and we go to what King was, you know, the whole, whether you, you know, the whole thing of the poor people March and, and whether um, the act, you know, the speech that, King was um, even giving or or presenting about it. It was dealing with that at, even at what's that in the sixties. 
that this was a condition created by uh, America, structural condition. It, it wasn't just a cultural condition, and it wasn't a cultural condition because of individual choices that they made. But the black political class and the black middle class are making the characterization that the reason we have in some areas is like, what, 50? No, excuse me, 25, I think here in Philadelphia is, what, 26%? That are in uh, that are in poverty. Poverty, yeah. That that is because that, of choice. But that's one the, of the population. That, that's the average in in certain neighborhoods. It's, it's a lot higher. But go ahead, Richard. Yeah, that is because of their choices, not because of the condition, the structural condition that has created those choices. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, you know, I'm just. You know, as people are reflecting about, you know, this king, you know, national recognition and national holiday, um, among other things, he did speak to that and nothing has really been done. And we get more police. If anything, the black political class, as you said, it within the Democratic Party and the black middle class, to a large degree, have agreed with the white leadership and white elites that the problem of poverty amongst black people is their own fault. Listen, Richard, you ain't going to get no argument out of me because you you can see it. And you can see the the deliberate uh, uh, avoidance of talking about poor people Mm. you can see it it's clear and the the avoidance of basically putting the finger of blame where it belongs i mean you heard you heard in fact i I played the audio several times on the program you heard clobber you heard kamala harris and you heard scott you heard politicians from both sides of quote-unquote aisle black say that America wasn't a racist nation. You remember mm-hmm. those audios? Yeah. But, you know, Richard, you, you talked about, because it's a couple of things I want to, to uh, raise, especially it's two topics I want to raise on the geopol- geopolitical front. Okay. I, I, I'll talk about them a little later. I, I want to mention about King first, because I, I want to play a segment of uh, speech. The reason I'm going to play this, Richard, is because and this is leadership. It goes again to leadership. You, I don't know how long this guy here, it's a white guy of a, of a religious organization. He's Jewish. It's a white guy here that's been the coordinator of the King Recognition Day for, yeah, a, number, for a number of years. I'm aware of him. Now, I don't know, Richard, and I, and I already say that it, it it wouldn't happen. I don't know no other ethnic group that have one of their icons that they let somebody else coordinate a day to remember them. Mm. You wouldn't be now. This guy is Jewish. 
Mm-hmm. If they had a gold of my ear day or Benakam begging, you wouldn't see no black man organizing no re- remembrance to those people. You would not see it. If a person was Asian of any Asian descent, anybody else, you wouldn't have nobody else of another persuasion or nationality or religious group organizing no remembrance of their ancestor. Mm-hmm. But you and see, I'm not going to say black people are letting it because black people, the, the majority of black people are not letting this go. This is leadership that's doing this. It's a difference. Mm. Because some people have a tendency to trash all black people, and black people don't have a lot to, to do with this. This is leadership. They're the ones that they put the mic in front of their face. They're the ones that been saying they, they, they repeat dumb crap, like when they came out and they support uh, 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 they support Israel unequivocally, all this type of stuff. They're the ones that are doing this. The majority of black people don't go along with this. So you see. That's why you see the recreation of these men and the stressing of things that they want to talk about. The last three to be, he, he made a speech at uh, a university, I think it was Stanford or one of them, a couple of days before he went and made that speech at Riverside Church about Vietnam. And then, Richard, he went to, uh, he made that last speech in Memphis. I think it was two or three, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was about three or four speeches that he made from 67 to when he was assassinated. Right, right. And his his philosophy was clearly changed, or his approach was clearly changing. Now, I, um, I, I want to play a portion of this, Richard, and I want the listening audience to see what he's stressing in this segment of this speech I'm going to play. It was from 1967. Keep in mind he was assassinated months later in April of 68. And I'll just make sure that uh, that I can find this and cue it up. And Richard, I want to compare some of the things he's talking about as problems facing the community to what's going on now and see whether any of them have changed. And keep in mind that, uh, listen, my belief that Europeans always like the show. They love the show, but they don't love to make the corrections, but they love for people to think they're doing it. They love to make the show. You know, and in fact, speaking of the show, they even got a Broadway musical or something about Malcolm. See, they can't really, they're trying to. They can't really recreate Malcolm, but that don't stop them from trying. Well, I have to interject, Elliot, because I think it's been, I think that when they put out the stamp, they put out the stamp, Malcolm X stamp, and said he was a civil rights leader. see, See, this is what I'm talking about. Threw me off. This is what I'm talking about. These these uh, assessments and analysis are not coming from black people. They're coming from whites. They'll tell you what you're supposed to believe, and then you're supposed to go out and do it. That's a people that are assimilated that go along with that. These black leaders, a lot of them are assimilationists. They're assimilated. They have been assimilated. That's what we have to realize. 
And that's going to be part of the fight that we're dealing with. Let me let me play a portion of this, uh, Richard, because I want to compare this to things that's going on now and some of the things that he was stressing near the end of his life. Subject from which to speak this afternoon, the other America. And I use this subject because... There are literally two Americas. One America is beautiful for situation. And in a sense, this America is overflowing with the milk of prosperity and the honey of opportunity. This America is the habitat of millions of people who have food and material necessities for their bodies, culture and education for their minds, freedom and human dignity for their spirits. But tragically and unfortunately, there is another America. Richard. Yep, yep, there's another America. Now, now, you you asked a question, and and I I would contend it was a rhetorical question, about Mm -hmm. why they're not talking about the poor. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you hear King in this speech, months from when he was killed, talking about two Americas. Right. One that, you know, that uh, they enjoyed. And he wasn't talking about the rich. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, he was, Richard, he's not talking about the rich here. He's talking about that quote-unquote middle class that was created. That was a created class for whites after the the, the uh, uh, crash in the 30s. You remember? Mm-hmm. So yep. this is what he's talking about. It's two Americas. One, he describes it. Now, let's hear him talk about that other America. And keep in mind, these people are supposed to be, quote-unquote, Americans together. But he said it's two Americas. That's what Dr. King said. Let me continue that. There is another America. This other America has a daily ugliness about it that constantly transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this America, millions of work-starved men walk the streets daily in search for jobs that do not exist. In this America, millions of people find themselves living in rat-infested, vermin-filled slums. In this America, people are poor by the millions. And they find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 
Innocence, the greatest tragedy of this other America, is what it does to little children. The little children in this other America are forced to grow up with clouds of inferiority forming every day in their little mental skies. And as we look at this other America, we see it as an arena of blasted hopes and shattered dreams. Probably the largest group in this other America in proportion to its size in the population is the American Negro. The American Negro finds himself living in a triple ghetto. Rigid. Yeah. Now, he... He talked about this other America and what's going on there and how millions of men walk around looking for a job that's not there. But he said the biggest tragedy is what it does to the children. Mm. Now, you heard that, right? Right. Now, keep in mind, this is 1967. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what, 56 years, 57 years ago, almost 60. Look at what it has done to our children now. And look, yeah. at, the, and look at the other factors that have come in o- on top of that. You had crack introduced to a population that was already discriminated against. You had, and crack led to the mass incarceration. Look mm-hmm. what this stuff has done to our children. Now you see them just running around, and then you you see all these guns pushed into communities. So they're running around. That despair is in some of our people so badly that your children running around, they find guns indiscriminately, shoot at one another. They don't care whether they hit an older person, the innocent people. Look at what this has caused. This is just not happenstance. And, it, and it's so interesting, Elliot, if I may interject, because as you brought up that period, it was the because of what was happening, even in then, as far as the crack epidemic, because it's not just the users. It was those who were trying to be like the capitalists, right, or like the money makers. They were making money. And in doing that, they were killing on both levels with the guns or whatever. But who was asking for the those people to be locked up. It was the people living in the neighborhood. Who is asking for the people to be locked up now? Or at least in this public safety, they're going to make it the same thing. That it's the people in the neighborhood who can't walk out on the street anymore. So then in this time, with the language change, they're doing the same thing. Bringing it, and now they ain't even just talking about police and locking them up. They're talking about bringing in the National Guard police mm-hmm. yeah listen I I, I just want and, and listen I, I, the listeners to the program is intelligent they're not slow but I just want the people to hear his focus and what was going on in 67 and it's no different in 2024 the only mm-hmm. thing that's different is the, the date on the calendar so when you get 
people like Clyburn, uh, Scott, uh, Harris, and others, because they're not alone, say that this is not a racist society and a racist country, where are they living? Who are they trying to preach this message to? And our people are not stupid enough to believe that. Let me let me continue to and, and key in again to some of the things he's saying. For about a decade or maybe 12 years, we've struggled all across society. Let me go back a little bit. Portion to its size in the population is the American Negro. The American Negro finds himself living in a triple ghetto for about a decade or maybe 12 years. We've struggled all across the South in glorious struggles to get rid of legal, overt segregation and all of the humiliation that surrounded that system of segregation. But we must see that the struggle today is much more difficult. It's more difficult today because we are struggling now for genuine equality. And so today we are struggling for something which says we demand genuine equality. And I came to see that so many people who supported morally and even financially what we were doing in Birmingham and Selma were really outraged against the extremist behavior of Bull Connor and Jim Clark toward Negroes rather than believing in genuine equality for Negroes. And I think this is what we've got to see now, and this is what makes the struggle much more difficult. Richard, mm. <laughs> again, now, he, who is he talking about there? Hey. He's talking about the, the so-called white allies. That's who he's talking about. Mm. That was outraged. I mean, you know, black folks, all we've been experiencing this all the time. He said that they were outraged by the behavior of Bull Connor and, and, uh, and James Clark. Right. But they really didn't want equality for black people. They were just embarrassed about that guy's, those, those two racist behaviors. Is that what he's saying, Richard? That's, that's what he's saying. Okay, now, wait a minute. Isn't that similar to what's going on now? Mm-hmm. You know, some people believe, and you hear black politicians, oh, Trump done unleashed this type of behavior. You've heard that, Richard. Right. Trump unleashed it? He's just a part of a system and a part of these brother, his brethren that's been around terrorizing black folks since we arrived on these shores. He didn't unleash anything. It's already here. It's been here. It never left. Mm. <laughs> Let me go back and just continue on. It's something that is often overlooked. But Negroes generally live in worse slums today than 20 or 25 years ago. In the North, schools are more segregated today 
than they were in 1954 when the Supreme Court's decision on desegregation was rendered. Economically, the Negro is worth, worse off today than he was 15 and 20 years ago. And so the unemployment rate among whites at one time was about the same as the unemployment rate among Negroes. But today the unemployment rate among Negroes is twice that of whites. And the average income of the Negro is today 50% less than whites. And as we look at these problems, we see them growing and developing every day. And we see the fact that the Negro economically is facing a depression in his everyday life that is more staggering than the depression of the 30s. The unemployment rate of the nation as a whole is about 4%. Statistics would say from the Labor Department that among Negroes it's about 8.4%. But these are the persons who are in the labor market, who still go to employment agencies to seek jobs, and so they can be calculated. The statistics can be gotten because they are still somehow in the labor market. But there are hundreds of thousands of Negroes who have given up. They've lost hope. They've come to feel that life is a long and desolate corridor for them with no exit sign. And so they no longer go to look for a job. There are those who would estimate that these persons who are called the discouraged persons would be six or seven percent in the Negro community. And that means that unemployment among Negroes may well be 16%. And among Negro youth in some of our large urban areas, it goes to 30 and 40%. And so you can see what I mean when I say that in the Negro community, that is a major, tragic, and staggering depression that we face in our everyday lives. Richard. You heard him say that um, the unemployment rate, and he talked about it. Now, they didn't start keeping that statistic until 72. Right. He talked about it at 67 based off of, you know, I guess the raw data that they had at that time. They didn't start uh, putting it out as a report until 72. Now, he said it was double that of whites. Right. But in the communities, he talked about 20 and 30 percent, right? Right. Now, that was in 67, mm-hmm. 56, 57 years ago. It's still double that of whites. And in the communities, it's to 20 and sometimes 30 percent. Right. What has changed? He talked about uh, uh, the racism on jobs and in education in 67 and said it was worse in 55. I mean, excuse me. It was just, he said it was worse at that time when he was speaking on it. But this was after those acts were signed, Richard, in 64 and 65. Now, he'll speak on that later on in this segment I'm going to play. There's about four more minutes left. But I just want to stop it and, and put emphasis on some of the things that he's pointing out 
It's no different now. That shows that it's structural. Yes. And just some uh, happenstance of the economy. And it can be a happenstance of the economy, but the structure of the economy is at a disadvantage to black folks. <laughs> let me let me continue on. And this is a tragedy of racism because its ultimate logic is genocide. And I would like to honestly say to you that the white backlash is merely a new name for an old phenomenon. It's not something that just came into being because shouts of shouts of black power or because Negroes engaged in riots in Watts, for instance. The fact is that the state of California voted a fair housing bill out of existence before anybody shouted black power or before anybody rioted in Watts. It may well be that shouts of black power and riots in Watts and the Harlems and the other areas are the consequences of the white backlash rather than the cause of them. What it is necessary to see is that there has never been a single solid monistic determined commitment on the part of the vast majority of white Americans the whole question of civil rights and on the whole question of racial equality. And this has been the persistence of the so-called white backlash. In 1863, the Negro was freed from the bondage of physical slavery. But at the same time, the nation refused to give him land to make that freedom meaningful. And at that same period, America was giving millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that America was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor that would make it possible to grow and develop, and refused to give that economic floor to its black peasants, so to speak. And this is why Frederick Douglass could say that emancipation for the Negro was freedom to hunger, freedom to the winds and rains of heaven, freedom without roofs to cover their heads. He went on to say that it was freedom without bread to eat, freedom without land to cultivate. It was freedom and famine at the same time. But it does not stop there. In 1875, the nation passed a civil rights bill and refused to enforce it. In 1964, the nation passed a weaker civil rights bill. And even to this day, that bill has not been totally enforced in all of its dimensions. The nation heralded a new day of concern for the poor, for the poverty-stricken, for the disadvantaged, and brought into being a poverty bill. But at the same time, it put such little money into the program that it was hardly and still remains hardly a good skirmish against poverty. White politicians in suburbs talk eloquently against open housing and in the same breath contend that they are not racist. Now all of this and all of these things tell us that America has been backlashing 
on the whole question of basic constitutional and God-given rights for Negroes for more than 300 years. <laughs> so these conditions, the persistence of widespread poverty, of slums, and of tragic conditions in schools and other areas of life, all of these things have brought about a great deal of despair and a great deal of desperation, a great deal of disappointment and even bitterness in the Negro communities. And today all of our cities confront huge problems. All of our cities are potentially powder kegs as a result of the continued existence of these conditions. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. Richard, I'm going to stop there. Mm. But you see all the things that he was talking about. Right. The points right. that he was raising to uh, an overwhelming white audience was basically condemning them. He talked about, <laughs> you heard him say, that they passed the Civil Rights Bill in 1875 with all of those amendments that we talk about and said they passed a weaker bill in 1964. Mm. And it wasn't enforced. That's what he was saying on it. Right. When he was changing his philosophy towards economic justice for black people. But if you notice these speeches, especially those last three speeches that he made, is never really to, they, uh, you hear the, the, the uh, speech at the Washington Monument, the holding hands and all, all these other things. But you don't hear when, when Dr. King's views started changing. Mm. That's not stressed. They're not going to talk about it. Now, we should be talking about it as a people, as a collective. 
because we can learn from that, his experience. We can learn from history and see how people change and their views change. Even Malcolm changed. Malcolm was a staunch uh, 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 um, a member of the Nation of Islam. Right. Then his views changed where he wasn't stressing so much the religion, but stressing more of a pan-African view of our situation. Right. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm just saying that we, we can, even now, we have an opportunity to grow and to change in some of our views. And even some of these people that, that, that we criticize, and rightly so, they have an opportunity to change. Now, if they don't, it's on them. But they do have an opportunity to change. But I just wanted to, to, to read some of those, uh, not read, to play some of those comments that he made and, and, and compare that we see that things haven't really changed. So somebody is putting on a show. Black people want them to change. They want them to change all the time. They want to be able to feed their families and enjoy the, the, the quote-unquote fruits of their labor, send their children to good school, send them to college, open up businesses like other people do. But mm. black folks are constantly on a treadmill in this society where it looks like you're going somewhere and your feet is moving, but you're in the same spot. Now, Richard, uh, Biden came here on Thursday. Now, he didn't been here in Pennsylvania at least three times in the past two weeks. Mm -hmm. This is a key state. It's a key battleground state. Right. Now, he was here Thursday. He went up to Allentown which is Trump country. And the thing about it, you know what, it it don't surprise me. But he went up there talking about how much black businesses have expanded under his administration, which is bull crap. But he went up there telling those people don't care nothing about no black businesses in those areas where he was at. Now Mm -hmm. he's going to be here again on Monday. He's going to be down in South Philly on Monday. And I bet you he'll be saying the same thing. But he'll have, the difference is, he'll have all of those people that we're talking about, even this new mayor, down there with him, spouting that same bullshit. Now, Richard, let me, let me just read a couple of these things here, uh, published reports here. This is from the policy, U, uh, U.S. Policy Institute. This is from February 2020. And keep in mind, a lot of these statistics haven't really changed. Right. Um, The title is uh, uh, The Persistence of the Black-White Unemployment Gap. It says here, since the U.S. Bureau of Statistics started collecting data on African-American unemployment rate in January of 1972, this rate has more often than not been twice as high as white unemployment. In fact, between January 1972 and December of 2019, other than during the aftermath of recessions, African-American unemployment rate has stayed at or above twice the rate of whites. 
the only time that African American unemployment rate was significantly less than twice the unemployment rate of whites was during the Great Depression recession. I'm sorry. The rate dropped after the recession start and lasted a few months uh, after the technical end of the uh, white rate increase. Excuse me, as the white rate increased, I'm sorry. But even when the African-American rate fell below double the white rate, it never fell very far. As African-Americans experienced greater amounts of layoffs between January 1972 and December of 2019, it never reached as low as one and one half the, uh, the rate of whites. A recent study by the Brookings Institute found that unemployment rate is even worse in major uh, in many majority African American metro areas, which we, we you already know. So it's basically saying from seventy two when they start keeping statistics to two thousand. Now this came out in two thousand and twenty. That has always been consistently double that of whites the national average, and in the metro areas, it's a lot higher. Well, that's what King was saying in in 1967. This article is from the Brookings in uh, February of 2022. Black-owned businesses in the U.S. cities, the challenges and opportunities for prosperity. It says, on January 17th of 2022, At an event marking ML King Day, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said, from Reconstruction to Jim Crow to the present day, our economy has never worked fairly for black Americans or for people of any color. Yellen's remarks were an acknowledgement that U.S. policymakers have established racially tilled rules for the economy, prohibiting intergenerational wealth transfer among black Americans, among many other harms. Now, this is Yellen saying this, Richard, in mm-hmm. 2022, January, at a King event. And keep in mind, you know, listen, Europeans love the show. They love that show. They love to talk about these things but do nothing about it. Now, you heard what she said. From mm-hmm. Reconstruction to Jim Crow to the present day, our economy has never worked fairly for black Americans. Now, let me finish this out. There's another paragraph. According to the Federal Reserve, in 2019, the median net worth of white families was $188,200. And that of black peers was $24,100. That wealth gap translates to many other disparities, including in business ownership, which is heavily influenced by individual and family wealth. In 2019, there were a total of 5,771,292 employer firms, businesses with more than one employee, of which 2.3% or 134,567 were black-owned, even though black people comprise 14.2% of the country's population. 
Now, Richard, let me, let me, you heard that, right? Right. It says in 2018, there were a total of 5,771,292 employer firms or businesses with more than one employee, of which only 2.3%, which was 134,000 of the 5 million, Mm -hmm. 134,567 were black owned. Now, it's kind of funny, Richard, that this is a nat- this is national. That 2% number? 2.3%. <laughs> but if you look, at, listen, you look at all of these cities, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, 2%, 3%, New York, uh, 2%, nothing, even Atlanta, which is supposed to be the black Mecca, I think it was like 5%. Right. So you can see, this is system, this is a system mm-hmm. of racism. And white supremacy. Not according to Clyburn and Harris and others, but this is a racist system. Mm. Now here, now here we go again. Now notice what it says here, Richard. That wealth transfer to many other disparities, including business ownership, which is heavily influenced by individual and family wealth. Now, going in business, generally you have to get money. Right. And get a loan. <clears throat> when you go for these business loans, now I don't know how it is for whites, but generally you got to show that you got liquid capital for almost half of what you need. Right. And that will eliminate blacks, a lot of black folks right off the bat. The numbers you just shared, shared as far as what the, the amount having. Um, personally is already saying that there's not much liquid cash available. That's my point. So all of this stuff that this idiot, this, this, uh, 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 Biden is talking about, about all these number of blacks that went into business, where are they getting the money from? Now here's another, here's another thing. Let me read this. This came from uh, a published report in 2023, February. The header says venture capital for black entrepreneurs plummeted 45% data shows. It says overall black entrepreneurs typically receive less than 2% of all venture capital dollars each year. In the wake of the police murder of George Floyd and the racial justice reckoning that followed black founders and black led startups saw historic gains in securing venture capital in 2021. However, the uh, the momentum around the movement fizzled. And a lot of those gains were lost by the end of 2022. While overall venture capital funded uh, venture capital funding dropped 36 percent in 2022 as inflation and interest rates surged. Financing for black entrepreneurs saw a steep drop of 45%, according to the crunch-based data. The drop was the largest year-over-year decrease that black entrepreneurs have seen in over a decade. So, according to these statistics, Richard, they're not getting the venture capital dollars. Mm -hmm. And when they were getting it, it was 2%. And when they were getting it, it was 2%. But 
but they've seen a 45% drop. So if you're not getting venture capital dollars and you don't have the dollars necessarily, the liquid dollars to to go into business and receive these loans and the blacks are not giving black people a lot of this capital. I'm talking about the banks. I ain't talking about venture capital. Right. So so what, what is all these smoking mirrors about all these blacks going into business? Just because you might have 10 or 20 in a, in a, in a, in a room clapping and cheering for the, the president when he comes in there talking all this foolishness. And you got millions that would love to go into business but can't. See, all we got to do is just, just read and see what's going on. And then we don't have to fall for this okie doke because these people love the show. They love it. And, you know, Elliot, it brings up how much the propaganda works um, in relationship to, because I hear a lot of these uh, men and women who are consider themselves uh, supporters of this thing of black entrepreneurship, um, what they call it, black bootstrapping. Um, and, and when I hear these numbers and I hear their attitude, it seems to be a disconnect because to them, it's like you just walk in the bank and you can get the money in order to set the business or that more importantly, um, that cause those statistic numbers of 2%, I mean, the amount, the grant, the, what's that, the aggregate number of, of businesses in America and the percentage of black businesses, you would think that there is more black businesses um, already developed scale-wise and wanting to come online, and they don't have no, the only thing that's talking bad is the people saying that there is not that many black businesses or the capacity to go into business like that. But to hear them talking, and to me, it means that either they are not paying attention to the numbers, not the numbers you, Elliot, are bringing up, the federal numbers that are being up. You brought up the tre- the, the recent treasurer, uh, you know, of the United States saying that there is a challenge, a structural challenge within employment. I mean, that wasn't Elliot saying that. That was the treasurer of the United States. During Martin Luther King's birthday, at the national holiday. So when I hear people say that, I'm saying, what are you listening to? <laughs> Is it that you're just believing this and you're projecting a belief because you want to believe? And isn't that considered like propaganda? Because it can't, it's not true. I know it. I know it. And, and that's the thing. These, these black leadership are letting these guys come in here, the president and others, and tout this foolishness when it's not true and telling the masses of our people this so they can vote for a Democratic Party. This stuff is not true. You don't control the economies of even your own neighborhoods, and that's nationally. I don't care whether you go to Milwaukee, to Baltimore, to Philadelphia, to New York, to to down south, to wherever. You go into predominantly black neighborhoods, and they don't control. We don't control the economy of our communities. Other people do. And plus, some of the other people that come in here are able to get money, federal money, and others to get start up businesses in your community. 
This is the system of racism. They don't have no problem getting money to start up businesses in your community. You know, Elliot, um, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 um, it's, it's just too much. And it's not like people, you know, we're speaking in 2024. It's not like there hasn't been people who've been making these, you said, um, King did that speech in 67. Yeah. There's been people making this assessment um, in various areas all along. But at the same time, there's these other people who are, or who are making, who, who are driving this narrative that in spite of the assessment, because obviously the solutions that is necessary in order to address that, um, we haven't um, dealt with it effectively yet. And, and this goes to an internal challenge. I mean, when I say internal, I'm saying internal within the black community. Because if we're, for those who are voting for those black leaderships, who are attending those institutions, those legacy institutions, if they are supporting this, then the people who don't even get a chance, because, uh, I mean, the black poor ain't, they ain't, they can't even talk, man. Yeah, it's they're living no their lives the best they can to feed the children they have, to deal with the elderly they have the best way they can. They ain't paying no attention to a lot of these guys. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I agree, Richard. But the, these people are making decisions that affect like millions lives. of black people's lives. And, and, and the thing is, Elliot, they're not making decisions that affect their lives, which is the problem. Yeah. Yep. So we, we'll see tomorrow, uh, here in Philadelphia in particular, that uh, I think Gerard College is the kickoff point where a lot of things are being facilitated. And you'll see uh, young blacks uh, with backpacks, uh, paint sidewalks and, and sweeping up uh, rec centers for a day of service. Right, Richard? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, um, King was talking about equal wages on these jobs. For, in fact, he got killed in Memphis for going down there to uh, his concerns about black garbage men. But you, uh, this this white dude going to have black children out there painting sidewalks and, and uh, cleaning up rec centers. I thought that's what your tax dollar is supposed to be doing, Richard. Yeah. You don't see white kids up there painting no sidewalks and cleaning no rec centers in their neighborhoods because their tax dollars take care of that. Your tax dollars are supposed to be taking care of it in your communities. But your tax dollars is going to other communities. And your communities is in, in, look like somebody threw a bomb in there. And where it doesn't look like it was built and um, a bomb has, which has just been changed because of gentrification, or or you know massive uh, uh, American relocation, right? Um, the people who own their homes, uh, and I have to get this example is on my mind, Elliot. There's you know because somebody expressed it to me. 
their, their area has been developed. The houses in their area now are going for, I mean, when they have these, like, you know, people walking in, $650,000. The people who live in that area, and this is what the person was saying, they own their homes. But because the property tax has increased, and some of them are retired. Do you know that the property tax on the house now is as much to a thousand to two thousand dollars, which means that if they were renters, they are now paying the amount for taxes at the level they would be paying if they were just moving in as a renter after owning a home. That's a year because the development in the area. So what does a retired person, elderly people who own a home, what choices do they have when they were in a black community and the taxes was nowhere near that amount on the homes they own? What choices do they have to have? Wow. Because that was an expense, a, a, a mortgage of $1,000, $2,000 a month. That's what people would expect to pay for a mortgage. Now they're talking about, well, they can't pay it. No, they don't, they thinking they don't have to pay a mortgage. And that's only because of those, the statistics you raised earlier of the, the of the, the inequality. If you saying that in white individual households, there are individuals who was that wealth is at a hundred and something thousand dollars. They can move. That's, that's liquid. So they can borrow off of that and never touch that and move into a new area. Yeah, and and these statistics again come to, uh, to Brookings. No, it's Federal Reserve. Right. That says uh, in 2020 that white families had a net worth of family net worth of $188,200 as compared to that black peers. Of twenty four thousand one hundred bucks. Where you gonna move at with twenty four thousand dollars? <laughs> just saying, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, and and uh, and you got uh, now. I listen. I don't care what these white politicians are doing, but they're telling these black politicians to don't don't address. Just keep talking about the middle class. Mm. Oh. Richard, before we take a break, because we got calls on a call online, I, I want to get to them. We're going to take a brief break. R- Richard, I want to, <laughs> I, I, before I go out to break, you know, I kept saying that uh, some of our people have an opportunity to change mm. because we we can all change. But for me personally, it's difficult to accept some of these people because, of the, you know, it, it, I can understand why, uh, brothers and sisters in South Africa used to put uh, uh, flaming tires around necks. Let me play. I want to play this because uh, he made this statement a couple of days ago uh, in Iowa. He was stumping for Trump. Uh, uh, this was uh, uh, um, uh, Don. What's the name? Uh, um, Carson. I'm sorry. Let me ben, play. Ben yeah, he was stumping for Trump in Iowa. Mm. Uh, let me, this is what he said. And interestingly enough, you look back to the beginnings of this country and our founders. 
A lot of people are trying to denigrate them now, saying that they were horrible people, maybe because some of them had slaves, and that America is a horrible place because we had slavery. People who say stuff like that obviously don't have a good grasp on the world history because every society has had to deal with slavery. And there are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been at any point in time. You look at human trafficking and sexual slavery, and we ought to be concerned about what's going on now, not what happened 200 years ago. And if there's anything unique about the United States... If there's anything unique about the United States and slavery, it's that we had so many people who were vehemently opposed to it that we fought a bloody civil war to get rid of the evil institution. And that's what we should teach our children. Our history is nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> Richard, I, 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 I had enough of that. <laughs> you know what, Elliot? Him, what he said for me, is he ain't he's in Iowa, right? Yeah, oh yeah, the, the white folks they gave him overwhelming applause when he was saying that. Which means that that's that's the, what they want to hear. Exactly. That's I mean, like, how, who the hell cares about whether slavery is? But why should a black folk and that and, and it's not and it's and it's interesting that retort they come back with that like well. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been slavery all in every society. So that makes it, well, so that supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you. But no, it, see, it made them feel better. They love the show, Richard. They love the show. I'm telling you. The history says that. That ain't me saying it. They love to put on a show. And, and this and stuff, I, he, go ahead. No, it, it just gets me because I'm thinking like, you just read these numbers of structural, whether it be employment, um, you know, business, you, you, you know, going back, you know, from 60, 67, and then some Negro in 2024, Negroes in 2024 say that there's, well, it's slavery been up, and well, they just mad. Well, we got just because some had, like, this thing ain't really with us right now. What? I'm sorry. It just like because there's no comeback when, especially when, as you say, with that show, they get white applause, they get white money. I mean, the Supreme Court justice get a bus trip. I mean, a boat trip around the world. Him and his wife. (laughs) He said it was it was so bad with nothing to be ashamed of because we fought a bloody war to end it. That, that ain't even historically accurate at all. You had whites in the north, the banking institutions. You had the black planters in the south that wanted more of a cut because they were basically they were producing everything. So they wanted to break off and make their own deal with Europe and other places. You you know this, Richard. And then all of a sudden, it's, that's when things fell apart. Lincoln was trying to encourage him not to do it. That, that, listen, we can all benefit from this. He said that he didn't want to, if it was up to him, he wouldn't have ended slavery. Hey, hey look, Elliot, for me, and you the one who brought, brought it to my attention, 
<laughs> he said, unlike y'all, because y'all act like white folks, y'all act like white folks just like us. Y'all okay. The rest of these Negroes, I want to get rid of. Yeah. Well, Is that's that what, what he, he said? said. He said. He said, I would, I got to find that. When he addressed them, he said, I would appreciate if all uh, of your people thought like us or thought like white people. Mm-hmm. I'll, find, I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. We're going to take a brief break. Go ahead. Okay. No, take, no, no, I'm good. Take a brief break. I see some calls jump on the line. We're going to get right back to them after we take a brief break. Uh, we're in open forum. Anything that's on your mind, you can give us a call, 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit you black family, to join your interconnected commit you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation.
got a watchman on the wall. You are too. You watch with a political eye. We watch from a spiritual eye. But we're supposed to be the watchman for the people that vote for us. The sad thing is the people vote, but they don't give you the money to run your campaigns. So here come big business. How are you? How are you, Judge? How are you, Alderman? <laughs> How are you, Congressman? How are you? How are you, Reverend? <laughs> well, what can I do for you today, Reverend? You can't do nothing for me. See, that's what we got to be careful of. We got to be careful of who we bow down to. Well, see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown Disrespect all of us. Yeah. In short, the lords of capital are creatures of U.S. imperial dominance. They go out of business when the empire does. The rulers are looking class death in the face, and it terrifies them. And when the lords of capital become frightened, they order their servants in politics and the war industries and the vast national security networks to take care of the problem by any means necessary. That means militarily encircling Russia and China, arming and mobilizing tens of thousands of jihadist terrorists in Syria in an attempt to repeat the regime change in Libya, waging a war of economic sanctions and low-level armed aggression against Iran, occupying most of the African continent through subversion of African militaries, escalating subversion in Latin America, and spying on everyone on Earth with a digital connection. All this to stop the clock that is ticking on U.S. and European world economic dominance. The organization of Afro-American unity shall include all people of African descent in the Western Hemisphere. In essence, what is it saying? Instead of you and me running around here seeking allies in our struggle for freedom in the Irish neighborhood or the Jewish neighborhood or the Italian neighborhood, we need to, we need to seek some allies among people who look something like we do. And once we get their allies, it's time out for you and me to stop running away from the wolf right into the arms of the fox looking for some kind of help. Number two, self-defense. We assert the Afro-Americans' right to self-defense. The Constitution of the United States of America clearly affirms the right of every American citizen to bear arms. And as Americans, 
We will not give up a single right guaranteed under the Constitution. The history, the history of unpunished violence against our people clearly indicates that we must be prepared to defend ourselves or we will continue to be a defenseless people at the mercy of a ruthless and violent racist mob. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.28 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. We're in open forum this evening. Anything that's on your mind, you can give us a call, 215-490-9832, uh, Richard, um, yeah. Two things before I go to the cup phones, um, and and I'm focusing on again on black leadership. Um, the stuff happening now down there in the Jackson area. Um, I'm, I know you don't have television; you might not be familiar, but you probably are. Uh, the two things almost simultaneously going on the the mother of the, the young boy that, uh, uh, you know, his mother was in the office building. He was in the car waiting for his 10. So it wasn't like, he, you know, he, I don't know. He was on, you know, he, he can wait in the car for his mother, but he had to go to the bathroom. And you know, that whole situation, he stepped outside right. of the car and, and was caught urinating by police and he was arrested. Um, I, I remember uh, that uh, brother Patrick and others missing on the move said that, that, that he, she came to her, to them first for help, but then uh, she ended up calling Ben Crump. I don't know. I don't think she has Ben Crump. This is another attorney. I'm not even talking about the attorney part of it. I'm talking about what's going on down there as far as the structure and the government, law enforcement. At first, they wanted to put the boy on probation with the drug t- mandatory drug testing, and, uh, and he's 10 years old. And you've seen the pictures of the young man. When the mother refused to do it, then they charged her. She's under charges now because she refused to sign the papers to have him put on probation. I, I don't know whether you was aware of that situation. I, I know that Brother Patrick and them will probably be talking about it on their program on Thursday. The other thing, Richard, is this situation here. And it came to light after that mother was concerned about her son. Uh because, I mean, he was away from his family, 32-year-old man, and come to find out that he uh, uh, he had been arrested and uh, ended up dead for some strange reason. And he had his ID and everything on him. They claimed he didn't have any ID, and they buried him in this potter's field. You knew about that incident, Richard. Right, right. Well, come to find out, it's over 215 bodies that's been buried in these in that area in this in this uh, uh makeshift burial ground because before it was three men that they had found that was in this area that now they uncovered this uh, over 215 bodies Richard hmm. now it should be some type of tribunal or something going on there because this is out right outside of Jackson now I don't know whether this is in the jurisdiction of a uh, uh, Chokwe Lumumba, uh, Antar Lumumba's jurisdiction, but 
it's, it's black leadership all down in Jackson. It should be some type of tribunal to find out how long this has been going on, who are these men, uh, the, the law enforcement, whether it was, I mean, a lot of these law enforcement is run by black, uh, whites, but they have blacks uh, mm-hmm. on the department and the sheriffs and everything else. Find out who the people are involved in this, and they need to be brought to justice. Whether it's these blacks have been aware of this, this darn uh, field where they've been burying bodies, whoever, they need to find out what's going on. I haven't, uh, I, black media is not even talking about this. I haven't heard a lot about the, the woman and the tragedy with the, with the young boy and her refusing to sign these papers. They too busy talking about cat. Goodness, yeah, okay, cat and cat Williams and Trump and Trump <laughs> instead of dealing with these issues. Now here's another thing before I go to the call, Richard. You know that guy that people voted for. You had a. Uh, um, No, I think he, because Fetterman, I think he was running against, uh, was it Dr. Oz? I think the other guy was running against uh, Mastriano, two Trump supporters. So black people went out and voted for this guy, Fetterman. So he comes out, and you he had some type of stroke or something. I thought he was still in the hospital. Yeah, well, he's he's out. He's out, but, uh, you know, he don't look like the brightest bub anyway. And he must be still suffering from after effects of this stroke or whatever he had going on. Because let me read to you what he said the other day. And it's in support. Listen, he's white, but it's in support of his brothers. Keep that in mind. This was in the, uh, this is a published report in the Independent. Uh, the header says, Fetterman says South Africa should focus in on his own continent. Uh, as it brings a case of genocide against Israel. Now, you, you, and I want to uh, uh, read their uh, synopsis of the, the, the case they're bringing and maybe get somebody on if I can uh, uh, contact some of the people that we know that are on that continent to uh, to talk about their case. But let me let me listen to what the, this, this fool says. John Fetterman criticized South Africa for bringing a case of genocide against Israel at the International Court of Justice for its war on Gaza and the treatment of Palestinians. The Pennsylvania senator suggested that South Africa ought to sit this one out at the event hosted by the Orthodox Union at Capitol Hill on Wednesday. He added that it was appalling that South Africa had brought the case, which began at The Hague on Thursday, given their history there in that country. Now, hold it, Richard. Before I make a comment on that, let me read this. It's unclear precisely which part of South Africa's history Mr. Fetterman was referring to in his comments, but the country existed under a system of apartheid or rule of white majority minority over the country's black population from 1948 to the early 90s. The case against Israel Israel was brought by South Africa's ruling party, the African National Congress, which successfully fought against apartheid and ended the apartheid rule. The party, which was once led by Nelson Mandela, the anti-apartheid activist and the first apartheid president of South Africa, has long compared the policies of Israel 
with the conditions of apartheid South Africans endured. Now, that's what the paper said in reference to this guy's comments. Mm-hmm. He's talking about, oh, South Africa, you, you need to, you, you ought to be embarrassed bringing this case, being what went on in your country. I mean, what is he talking about? Is he so that stupid that he don't realize that the, the whites that were doing that are no longer in power, so, per se? They still control aspects of the economy and definitely the aspects of that military. But they're mm-hmm. not in power in that country anymore. Maybe he don't realize it. Because this was a, this was an idiotic statement. The paper had to clear it up for him. But the thing is, how is it somebody in Pennsylvania, you know, now you ain't heard no congressperson, the black ones. That's what, that, that's what I was getting ready to say. Go ahead, finish your thought. Ain't saying ain't nothing. This, this fool, he gets out of he gets out of the hospital. And I'm again, I don't know when he got out of the hospital. Last I heard, he was still in the hospital. But he gets out of the hospital, and just because he's a senator, I guess of all the things he's, you know, he ain't say nothing about Ukraine. He ain't say nothing. He he gonna deal with this whole thing of the South Africa bringing something up against a genocide. I mean, where where these Negroes really should be some alignment between the ANC, the South African political government, and this here um, 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 making this case, but you don't hear nothing out of them. I know it. That's that's what I was getting ready to bring up, Richard. Because uh, uh, you, if you remember that clip I played with Jesse Jackson, when mm-hmm. he was talking about how they were instrumental in getting uh, Nelson Mandela out of jail. And believe me, activists here, black activists, and and that brought attention to him being in prison, did help him get out. So there is a kinship, and it should be, not only because they're black, but because of what went on. So now they're bringing a case against Israel for genocide and going to base it on what was going on in South Africa and Israel's support of that racist regime down there. So where is the black leadership now to join in with what they're saying? At least based on the case of right and wrong. Because they know what was going on in South Africa. They know who was in charge of that apartheid government. And they know who supported apartheid down there in South Africa. And if they don't, they don't need to be any black leadership. but they don't have nothing to say on this issue. All you heard from those idiots like Clyburn, Hakeem Jeffries, and others, even local ones here, uh, we support Israel, waving banners and, and flags and making public statements about their support of Israel. Now, two months later, into this war, or this so-called war, and you see all these atrocities being committed, they ain't saying nothing. Black people need to put their ass on Broad Street and demand some type of explanation. What do you say now? It was stupid for you to make that statement in the beginning, but what do you say now after you see what has went on? You could, We got to hold these people accountable, brothers and sisters. These people are doing damage to the masses of black people. They're doing damage. Now, you see why in South Africa they started putting necklaces on some of the black leadership that was siding with those apartheid governments. You see why. Now, I'm not advocating that anybody do anything that extreme. 
But I'm saying I can understand why they did that. Let me go to a couple of these calls just because they've been waiting. Let's go to 602. 602? Uh, yes, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. Greetings, Brother Marcos here. Yes, sir. You know, um, I would take it even further, you know. This this thing is not only national, you know. It's international, you know, uh, economic control of our communities because where I'm from in Jamaica, it's 98% black. And I doubt they, 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 the black population, they control 5% of the economy in that country. Mm. And in fact, what's happening right now, it's um, predominantly controlled now by Chinese. And the black business people are being killed out. You see, they were finding out that the Chinese paying black gunmen to go and kill the, the black local black business people. So you know we have it, this thing is an international thing. You know it's they don't want black folks to get any economic control. None. See now in reference to to Dr. King, as you said, Dr. King was changing, was having a mental revolution. You know at the end. Because the, the, the king before is a different king than at the end of his life, and one of his um, one of King's main advisor, in fact, his financial advisor, was a Jew by the name of Stanley Levison. See, Stanley Levison was his financial advisor, and. Integration, you know, really is an agenda push was pushed by Jews. You see, because they, if if they have, why they are telling black folks to integrate, they were separating themselves. You see, they were separating, and they could move into the black community and move freely into the white community. Because if they, if their name is Steinberg up up north. How they do they drop the berg and they are staying down south, see? So these people you know, have been have been in into black people, you know, so much posing as our friends and they are our biggest enemies. Because I even wrote it in the Bible that what? They are the chosen of God. And I think that is one of the reasons why black people um, you know, really side with these people too, because in that Bible, they said they are God's chosen people. And again, I said, if they are God's chosen people, then apparently black folks are not God's chosen people then. Because apparently God have favorites, you see. So these people are hypocrites. They, are being, they, they have been hypocrites. They, have, they were the ones who financed the, the, the ships that, that brought black people to this country. You see, the, you know, and there is a statement that this guy here, Thomas Jefferson, no, Benjamin Franklin, read what Benjamin Franklin said about those people. See, they're trying to say, oh, he didn't say that. Go verify to the Library of Congress and what he said about these people here. You see, they use black 
people as a buffer, because these people are only two percent of the, of the U.S. population, you know. But they get in with black people and use us as a buffer between themselves and the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, because they know if black people weren't here in America, you would see what Hitler did to them. You would see that happening in America. They control the banking system globally because all online banking software are controlled by Jews. See, they are the ones, they are the financiers, they are the bankers. See, so these people are not our friends. And I'll close by saying this. Here, I live here in Memphis, Tennessee, where they assassinated that man. And you see these Negroes and the city council, they are the worst. As, as, as Farrakhan said, these people are the worst. <laughs> now, they, inst- instead of them um, trying to find out what is the problem that's causing um, crime in in Memphis. What they're trying to do, oh, we have to remove the police commissioner, like changing the police commissioner is, is going to solve. They don't want to address the root cause of crime. 600,000, uh, over 700,000 black people living in Memphis, and we only control 0.02% of the local economy. <laughs> You're going to have problems. But they don't address that, you know. Oh, let's change the police commissioner. Let's do this. So these Negroes here, these, these old, uh, I don't call them leaders, you know. They are stooges and puppets, you know. Just all, but they pay the coming, you know. There's a pay the coming. Anyway, I, I keep my ear to the phone. Keep on keeping on, good brothers. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution, sir. Richard, no Richard, he said it all. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, Let's go to uh, a caller. Caller? Yeah. Um, listen. We need to, at this stage, let Martin Luther King go. I mean, he's owned by white folks. He's never told the truth about what he really stands for at the end of his life. They use him as nothing but a form of manipulation. Hold on a second. Uh, Now, I just played a segment there of the, I think that was the, the... Third to the last speech that he made. You said he never told the truth. Did you hear anything that he no, said? No, I did not say that. I did not say that. I did not say that. You're not listening. I said that white folks never tell the truth about what he said. Oh, I'm That's sorry. That's why I okay. said we need to let him go, okay? Because he's been co-opted by white folks for their benefit and not for black people's benefit. And it's been over 56 years, almost since he's been killed. And if as a people, we still have to refer back to him, just like Malcolm, for our development and growth. Hey, listen, we in trouble. Like I always say, black people in trouble because I don't, understand how we as a people 
have to refer to someone that's been dead for that amount of time as a so-called leader and interpreter of what we as a people should do. That's crazy. We need new voices to move us forward as a people. It's just like I always say as a student in Dr. Clark. Dr. Clark always said he just didn't implement it. There has to be those who continue my work. You know? Because the reality is, right now, you got so-called black leadership that ain't doing nothing for black people. You got a man in your city who just came into office. Let's be honest. Do you think that she's going to address the housing problems in your city? Do you think she's going to address the homeless problems in our cities, all she's going to do is allow her Negro friends and her white beneficiaries to find some sort of mechanism to make them more money. Ain't nothing going to change. I live in New York City. Ain't nothing changed for black people since this Negro, Eric Adams, became the mayor. It's just not that reality, bro. These people are not leaders because they have no allegiance to black people. Their allegiance is to white people. And their allegiance is to try and get closer to white people. That's why you don't have nothing going on where black people are making dents in this society. Now you competing with other people that's got their act together on a more cultural level, a more committed level of working and dealing with one another. I mean, the obvious fact is, do you ever hear any of damn other ethnic group saying to you who their leader is? Why are we the only ones that's putting that BS predicament? I mean, it's a it's a joke, man. Well, let me say so something. I'm saying what you said. we need to let it go. Let me, I don't let want. Me, I, I mean, tomorrow is gonna be nothing but. Let, a let me say. Let me say something in reference to what you just said. Now, I I guess you. I don't know why you mentioned about the black leadership, current black leadership, because uh, you know you. Uh, you preach it to the choir when you're mentioning about black leadership and what they're not doing. But when you stated about letting him go, for example, you talk about King, but then you quoted Dr. Clark. You quoted Dr. Clark because what he said was important. The way he lived his life and what he dedicated his life to was important. Culturally, our people always reverence their elders because we knew as a people that those spirits come back and they are awakened in other uh, generations. Sometimes when they hear the words of these people, when they read their writings, the spirit is awakened. 
So it's important to reverence our elders. It's important to keep their spirits alive. It's foolish to talk about let it go. You know what we need to let no, go? Brother, you know what we you need? Uh, wait a minute, you. hold it. I didn't cut across you, and you're not going to cut across me. You know what we need to let go? We need to let go of these Europeans recreating our elders. That's what we need to let go. We need to fight back against this foolishness and fight back against the leaderships that don't say nothing about it. See, I expect these Europeans to try to recreate these people because they want, they're doing it for assimilation purposes. We need to push back against this black leadership that don't say anything in reference to these guys coming here with this revisionist history. That's what we need to push back against instead of being oh, quiet. You- you know, see where you make where you make the mistake is. There's a difference with Martin Luther King and Dr. Clark. There's there's, there's not I a comparison, no brother. I ain't making there's, no mistake. I ain't making no mistake. And I'm not I'm going into anything with you in reference to Dr. Clark and King. That man gave no. his life for black folks. He gave his life. You need to get out there and do something. You need to get out there and do something instead of getting on here fat mouthing. I know we disagree. I know we disagree. We disagree. We disagree. But you ain't gonna say. Listen, you're not gonna say anything. You're not gonna say anything to me about a man that gave his life for 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 black people. No, his life was taken from him. There's a difference between giving your life and being murdered. Get that right now. Well, let me explain this to you. Let me explain this to you. Let me explain. Let me explain this to you before I let you go. Now, when he was threat, when his life was threatened on countless occasions, he's not the only one. You uh, listen. I'm gonna finish what I'm gonna say, one way or the other. When his life was threatened on countless, I know I do. When his, life was when his life was threatened on countless occasions, he didn't get weak knee. He kept on. He had the option to say, well, damn, you know, these people are serious. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. He had that option. He could have said, wow, I got a family. I'm concerned about them, especially after his house was bombed. Uh, listen, brothers, listen, it's a noble cause of what y'all are doing, but I can't do this. I'm concerned about my family. I need to be here for them. He didn't do that. Can I ask you a quick he question about that. what did, you just did he said? Do, did he do that? No, no, no. This is the question I wanted that? to ask you. No, then I wanted answer to ask my you question. anybody. Answer my no, no, question. No, no, I agree with you. I, I'm not disagreeing did, with did you. Did he do I'm that? Answer you my question. question. Did he do that? Did he get weak I, I said I agreed with you. You're not listening. My question to you is, every black leader at that time that was in that position that he was, name me who walked away. What? Name me a so-called black leader that was in Martin Luther King's position that was doing with Martin Luther King who walked away. Name me somebody. I, want, I need to hear a name because when, when see, your say, analogy is say, a little, you, little off base because away. you're trying to make it seem as though he was... And the others didn't do the same. Well, wait a minute. Hold Everybody on. who was hey, in that hey, position. I'm not going to argue. Out. I'm not going to argue back and forth. Name, I'm not going to argue back and forth with you about King. No, you, not, you can let it go. Hey, listen. Let it go. 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 Yeah. I don't have time for the beer. Have a good night. Have a good night. Later. Later. 
Uh, Richard. Okay, I, and look, let, let's move on. I mean, that, that's stupid. You, you let it go. You, 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 then you can let it go. Do what you want to yeah. do. I'm not arguing you, with you back and forth about a man that was murdered for, work, for trying to help black people. I'm not going to do that. He had a different philosophy from me. I, I, I acknowledge that. He started coming closer to a, a lot of what Malcolm and others were saying near the end of his life when he started changing. So, it, it, But his life was taken from him. And he knew that they were coming after him. Now, you had other men that was involved with him that now it's questionable whether they was really with him or not. And they were, quote, unquote, black leaders. You're aware of several of these people. I know you are, Richard, because you know history. It's questionable whether some other people know even their own history. They just know sound bites of their history. They know nothing about these men. Well, on the women hold it, I have to, I have to, because we can, we can use Ben Carson as the archetype. Because, you know, Carson obviously got a history, right? He knows something. But look what he's saying. And there are others in different stations in life that are like Ben Carson. Yeah. That's the way I would characterize it. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's. Let's go to another caller. <clears throat> Let's go to uh, 469-469. Hey, how are you all doing today? How are you, sir? Okay. Um, I cannot, I, I totally disagree with the last caller. Uh, Dr. King, and I agree with what you're saying, other people are telling us about Dr. King and what he was. Uh, rather than it coming from our own folk. And if he wanted to, he talked about Dr. Clark. If he wants to really find out, because Dr. Clark was very, very respectful of Dr. King. And there is a YouTube video that he talked about, you can do on Dr. Clark. And you can go out there and you can, he can look that up and listen to that video. And, and Dr. Clark talked very, very highly of Dr. Martin Luther King. He also stated that he made some mistakes and he also said, but there's not been any man alive who have not made mistakes. Mm -hmm. He also made reference just like you're saying, we, you're saying that people are giving us a Martin Luther King that didn't, didn't exist, just like a Paul Robeson and so forth. He even tried to make Paul Robeson a fag. Hang on, you know, I just got to call it like it is. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that. So he needs to go and listen since he referred to Dr. Clark, that he needs to listen to what Dr. Clark said about Dr. King. And Dr. Clark actually went down and met an interview with King when he was working for the Pittsburgh Courier. Hey, Elliot, I wouldn't do this, but I knew Dr. Clark. No, 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 we ain't doing this. Don't do that. Don't do that on this program. We ain't doing that. What, what I'm saying is that, you know, 
I don't agree with him, but go and listen to what Dr. Clark said, because Dr. Clark was very, very respectful of Dr. King. Didn't say that he didn't make mistakes. He pointed those things out. He pointed out the mistake that he made after the bombing of the children uh, at Birmingham. And he was saying that that's one time that they should have uh, gone against King, saying that, you know, if blood must be spilled, let it be our blood. He didn't agree with that. But he was also very respectful of Dr. King. So I just suggest, and, you know, I won't argue, you know, and everyone has their opinion and have the right to their opinion. But since he had made a reference to Dr. Clark, I think that it may do well that he go out and listen to what Dr. Clark said, not what I'm saying, but what Dr. Clark said about Dr. King. And, and maybe, you know, maybe that may give him a different perspective on, on Dr. King. Uh, but I'll jump over to one thing, too. Another thing that you all would be very, very interested in maybe checking out. On call, Nelson, someone called in, and they talked about this project, um, Project 2025. Are you all familiar with that? Uh, no. What? Please, well, wait please a go out. You said you are, Richard? Huh? No, Richard, you said you were? No, no, I, I haven't. Oh, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Please go and look, look at it. It's a long document. I kind of browsed it, but it is very, very, very significant. And it basically talks about the Republican takeover of the executive branch of the government to where the executive branch of the government would basically control everything. And you would actually create a dictatorship. Now, one of the things is that uh, Ben Carson was part of that um, leadership. And when you see the people who are sponsoring it, they've got a whole list of folks. And it's interesting. One of them is actually the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Mm. And Alveda King is one of those folks who are part, who's a part of that. And one of Dr. King's uh, other nephews, a great nephew, and I cannot remember what his, his name is, he's a part of it. I mean, it's really interesting. You go out and look at it. Uh, and, I mean, you these people, they spend a lot of time and they've got a lot of resources that they allocate towards putting their plans together. Where is our documentation that of our scholars and our intellectuals who are putting together that same type of document that is pushing our agenda forward? You know what I mean? Yes. You know, I mean, these people, they've got it, and it's out there for you to see. Very extensive. I think it may be about... 900 pages or something, and they have it segmented. They have housing. They have this. They have that. Uh, the Heritage Foundation is part of it. Uh, there are several other 
organizations, like I said, I browse through it, but it's so extensive that you would need, from our perspective, we would need legal people to look at this stuff and break it down and, you know, uh, scholars and so forth, because, you know, you, you really need to have a whole contingent, a team, to go in and look at this stuff and analyze it and then come up with your own as a, uh, to counteract what they're doing. But, you know, we, we don't know about this stuff, you know, but other people are organized and they're putting their agenda forward, written documents where you can see what it is that they're doing, their checks and balances. We don't have that. Now, I'll close on one thing, too. Getting back on our culture and how we've lost touch with our culture. You remember at one time that black people didn't put their people in nursing homes? Yes. Eddie Bernice Johnson died the other week. She went in for surgery and she had back surgery, and where she was, they basically neglected her. Now, here you're talking about a person who, for I don't know how long, she was in Congress. And her background was that she was a, uh, a, a registered nurse. Now, they said that she was in they found that she actually called her son or something that she was in excruciating pain. And they found that she was in feces, wasn't changed and all of that. And, and they're suing the place that she was, she's in. But my question is this, why wasn't there someone there with her 24 hours a day? My mother was in the hospital for like eight months and there's six of us. We're all over the country. There was there was someone with my mother for about the first five or six months, 24 hours a day, every day. And when those folk weren't doing what they were supposed to do, we was calling them in. Why wasn't Eddie Bernice Johnson, I put uh, I put most of that on her family, cause it should have been someone there with her, twenty four hours a day, and this is why we have to have our own institutions, because no one is going to take care of you and do things for you better than you can do those things for you for yourself. So anyway. I know I've been a little bit long-winded, but I wanted to put, you know, both of those things out there and also let us know we can get out of this thing whenever we decide we want to. But it's going to come down to where we don't, we can't depend on anyone else. Integration, we tried that. It has been a total disaster. And I'll close with this. That segment that you had with um, um, Jesse Jackson, Jonathan Jackson, when that young man who had been in prison, mm-hmm. and he said 
that these these children are going to kill our ass. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what is going on. And you want to blame the children for them doing what they're doing. But it's not the children who's at fault. It's the adults because they're not nurturing our young people and giving them the resources that they need to become successful. And that's where we are. And until we change that mindset and stop depending on folk to do for us what we can do for ourselves, we will continue to say to suffer. And I'm going to close on Dr. King since tomorrow is his day and we were first talked about it. Dr. King said shortly before he was assassinated, he told Harry Belafonte, I believe I'm integrating my people into a burning house. He realized that what he had thought would maybe get us there, and he never was really on integration. He just wanted black people there so that they could be get the resources that white folks was, was getting. He never really was really for integration. He really wasn't. But he felt like if they were in the same classrooms, they could not deny them. But what they did is they turned around and they started sending all their children to private schools, and then they shut down the public schools. That's what you have now, these charter schools, because they want to suck all the money, the that billions of dollars out of the budget, and take it from the public school and put it in private schools. So anyway, that's that's all I got to say. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution, bro. And I'm going to check that you out. Like you that. said 20, 2025? It's Project 2025. It is, you really need to look at it. I mean, it is, it's something, man. It is really something. And that's something that our scholars, you know, there, there needs to be hundreds or thousands of people, of our people, scholars and so forth, lawyers and everyone that need to come together and look at this thing and break it down, analyze it, and then come up with a counter plan to it. And, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And you said you heard it on call. See, these are the Uh things that black media needs to be doing. Exactly. Instead of, you know, uh, 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 like Richard mentioned about Cat Williams and, and, You know, more and more, I turn on black talk stations, and especially the popular ones that that, that do talk. And all you hear is Trump, 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 every day, Trump, Trump. I mean, come on. May I I say something with that? Go ahead. I hear people say that all the time, even my brothers. And I tell people, we've had Trumps all throughout our history. (laughs) Well, I maybe, mean, Lincoln was a Trump. Uh, uh, George Washington. Bush was a Trump. Uh, George Bush. Uh, Ronald Reagan. You know, the problem is that when we get old Barack Obama, he's the same way. Mm. <clears throat> you know, we don't have people. Everyone stands up and they make no bones about it. The, the so-called Jewish people 
they stand up and they say, hey, we're for Israel first. Everyone else, the Chinese, the, the Asians, or the Hispanics, hey, they in, in L.A., what did they do? They talked about black folk in L.A. Uh, but they come together and they make no bones. They do not apologize for looking to um, support themselves first. Mm-hmm. We're the only group of people. When we get an idea, we've got to run to other folk to see whether or not it's valid or not. And then they come and they say, nope, that's a horrible idea. And then they go behind you and say, say, Bob, this Negro just brought me, brought us an ideal where we can get filthy rich. And you bring them the ideal and they look at what they've done to our music and our culture. You know, they've taken our music that we created, jazz, rap, and so forth, and have taken it over and have become the experts at it and have created clubs and other things to promote our music and put their faces on our music. And then our young people don't even know the history behind it. And then they're talking about, rather than John Coltrane as being, you know, jazz or Miles Davis, they're talking about David Sanborn. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Take your culture and pick your pocket with your culture. It's, you know, we, we, we've got, we have to do better. But again, like the brother said from Chicago, because we're not doing that, these children are killing our ass. I'll just repeat what he said. <laughs> Yeah, if I could find it, I might play that again before we leave tonight. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let me get out of you, Austin. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you for your contribution. Take care now. All right. Let's go to 215. 215. Hey, Brother Richard, how y'all doing tonight? Yes, sir. Oh, man, so it's, it's one of them days, I tell you, I tell you, man. It's one of them days, uh, you know... Well, 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 and the brother just made some good points. Well, I understand, brother Elliot, and maybe somebody could explain this to me, is that why would I give a, excuse my language, if you give me a little varky for a minute, why would I give a fuck about whether white people, how they feel about Dr. King? I mean, why would I even care? Because you already know the devil going to sit there and, and, like you said, be business history. I mean, you know, remember the late great brother Rob, Elliot, right? You, you, you knew brother Rob real well, right, Elliot? Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, all right, brother Bob made a comment to me one time. He said, "Brother Joe, he said, brother Yusuf, if Malcolm came back right now, he said we know, we know how they did Dr. King. So even with Malcolm, how these white folks have created Malcolm, he said he said Malcolm came back, Malcolm wouldn't even recognize himself. So I mean, so why would I give a damn about whether how white people be through Dr. King? You know, you know they're going to always do that to our people, man. That's not even up for no argument. And so that's not, that's not even up for discussion about white people. I wouldn't even never even care about how they feel or how they revision, how they try to be make Dr. King's legacy. Because you know they're going to do that. You know what I mean? It's, it's what we think of Dr. King. And I would never make a, a comment about, well, we can just forget Dr. King. Dr. King died, like you said, Elliot. Whether you say he was, well, he was murdered, his, but like you said, he knew 
Thomas life could be taken. He, Dr. King was no different than Malcolm, Megger, any of them brothers. They knew at any point their life could be taken. They knew what they was. They knew what they was doing for their people. They was willing to make that sacrifice. So I would never say, you know, forget them because I don't care if they died four, five years ago, fifty years ago, hundred years ago. I feel the same about dear Mark Bessie. He's been there for over hundred something years. I would never say nothing like that because what that brother did, his, his spirit lives on. You know what I mean? As they say in the, in the Quran, I've got the, the surah in the Quran. They say when a, when a man dies, a righteous man, he, we not we don't like to say he just died. We we say he may disappear physically. I forgot I forgot the little how the server goes, the fact I'm, I'm so emotional right now because cause comments like that just get under my skin, Elliot. But you get the point what I'm saying, Elliot, in the Quran, say, we don't say that they are dead. We say that they are alive, and, it's, and I forgot how the Quran says it, but you get my point, Elliot, you know what I mean? So so those so those men, those King and, and Malcolm been dead for some, several years, and then Mark Besson, no, I don't give a damn. Their spirit still lives on what they instilled in our people. We still we still live off of We still supposed to and, and, and fight for the ideas and what them brothers died for and stuff like that. You know what I mean? What they lived for and what they died for, you know? That's the way I look at it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, listen, I agree. That's uh, that's that Culturally, that's how we kept our people alive. Exactly. By talking exactly. about them, talking about their work. That's, that's, exactly. the, that's the spirit that's passed down to generation after generation. Exactly. And, and, and again, I hate to be done, Elliot, but like I said, I don't never get it. Because like I said, white folks will always do that with our people. Hell, hell, hell years from now, they be telling you that, 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 uh, uh, a young brown was a handkerchief head or something. The way white people do things, you know how they always come with their revisionists. Cause I, I mean, they, but they do. The white folks do what they do and stuff. But now, brother Marcus, they call from Memphis. Marcus, it's like brother Marcus was talking to me, man. Cause yeah, but many of my sinners about them Jews. And anyway, how many times have I told you and Richard in the time from waking listen audience? A lot of our people, and this is important. Now, this is how I can't, and, and Brother Marcus, you still listening. Brother Marcus, listen, brother, you know, I'm, you know I'm speaking the truth because you echo what I've been saying, Brother Marcus, my message. And we can't, I can't understate this more. I can't emphasize this more. The reason why a lot of black people in this country, especially even around the world, but especially in America, for example, and they misguided, and it's because these handkerchief-haired black ministers, a lot of black people, because like, I'm speaking from what I know, as a, as a member of the Nation of Islam and the student of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, I know my history, I know theirs. I have talked to not just one or two black people, but black folks around the country when it comes to these so-called white Jews, and a lot of them think that when they go against these white Jews, they're going against God's chosen people. They have been so brainwashed that they in the Bible that they see where they say God the Jesus that they love is had 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 bronze skin and hair like wool. They don't even see themselves. They still look at a damn Michelangelo, even though the, their own Bible, the King James Bible, they claim that they love. Talking about what Jesus looked like when Jesus talked about the people that's been despised and rejected from and stuff that was brought from a, a land to from 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 a country to a strange land. They don't even see that that's them. That they talking about the lost. The, lost people, the chosen people, they don't even see that's them because these black preachers, they look at some damn white fake Jews as God's chosen people. That's why you have by, by so many pushback from some of our people when they come to speaking against these white Jews, because like Brother Marcus said, they think that they're going against God's chosen people, and they didn't just think that they get, they're getting brainwashed by these handkerchief head black men. They have done so much damage to our people. You you don't have me. See, Jeremiah Wright never talked that bullshit when he was preaching preach at the Trinity Church in Chicago. Reverend Wright, 
is a Christian man. He taught the truth. Reverend Joe Williams, he speaks the truth. Nat Turner, of course, back in the day spoke the truth. But these Negroes like the T.D. Jakes of the world, the Creflo Dollars, and some of these other pork chop eating hustlers, you know, Sharpton and all them, they teach our people that these damn white Jews are God's chosen people. They are disgraced, man. And that's why our people fight so, that's why they so scared to go against these people, man. But but I, I can honestly say, Brother Ellen Richard, the tide is changing, though. More and more of our people are waking up now to see to see that these people ain't nothing but white people. They call themselves Jews. They agonize these. They convert to Judaism. They're not no true people of the book. And people are starting to see that now. And like Brother Marcus correctly said, and I've been saying this for the longest, they are not our friends. I don't know where this notion came, again, from, the, from your fellow black leadership, of course, that these white Jews, have, they have never been our friends. Like, like like, like the Nation of Islam said back in, and they did their, 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 their homework. That ship named Jesus was a Jewish slave ship that brought our people from, from, from the shores of Africa over here to America. It was a Jewish slave ship. Some of your most vicious and brutal slave owners, I mean brutal, that, that this stuff, there was white Jewish slave owners that brutalized our people, stuck hot forks and, and black women's vaginas and all that kind of stuff. Did some horrible things to our people. Took, cut, cut black men's genitals off. These was white Jews did these things, man. See, the truth got to be told. All this shit about anti-Semitism, this stuff has got to stop. We got to tell the truth about these people. They have did as much brutal stuff to our people as any other white ethnic group. They've been more vicious towards us than Polish, Irish, all of them. They have did, and the worst things about it, like Brother Marcus says, they've been getting away with this stuff about our friends. And like Brother Marcus correctly said, they've been a buffer. They've been a buffer because, like I said, these white Jews, they play it, they get it, they get it all three ways. They white when it's convenient, Elliot and Richard, and they Jews when it's convenient. They play both ends against the middle. But see, like Brother Marcus said, he's right. They know, well, not for black folks in America, their white Anglo brother who hates them too because they're so-called religion, whatever they want to call themselves. So, so, so they know they can hide behind that. So they can cut their name from Silverstein to Silver, Goldstein to Gold. They can blend right in with their white brother and their white Anglo Protestant brethren. But these people have never been no friends. You have had individual so-called white Jews that have tried to be humane, but for the most part, they have never been no friends of our people. And like I said, all of every, and I close with this, I want to stick about a lot of you on Richard time. Sure, any race of people had it bad. I'm, as a black man, I would never sit there and say that we don't have some black people among us that's, that's been low life and stuff. I mean, every race has those. But these white Jews, they want to paint the strip that they are holy and righteous. They don't do nothing wrong. Last point, Elliot. You familiar with the gangsters like Al Capone, right, Elliot? Al Capone, yeah. Frank Nitty. We all know what these white Italian mobsters did. They did some horrible things to drive bys. But, brother, Elliot, Brother Richard, and the African List audience, let, no, let, let the truth not escape you tonight. Brother, nobody was more vicious than these white Jewish gangsters, brother. My Lansky, all these Jews. Man, they, they, they did some of the most worst drive-bys and killings. Then they, some of them made Frank Nitty and Al Capone look like choir boys. Man, the, the, the pictures don't lie, Elliot. When you see some of those traffic pictures when them barber shops and salon shops were shut up by them Jewish gangsters, man. You seen bodies riddled on, on, on the ground, full of bullet holes. They shot everybody in the barber shop. The barber, everybody got gunned down with holes riddled in them. And, and, and nobody's more vicious than that so-called Detroit Purple Gang, which is a gang of Jewish gangsters out of Detroit, the Detroit Purple Gang. They was vicious killers, man. But see, when you bring these things up, they set you up by saying you're anti-Semite, man. Come on with this nonsense, man. Tell the truth about their rotten history, man. Don't keep on with this platitudes, but they've been some great people and nice people, and like, and like you correctly said, 
South Africa is doing a beautiful thing, the brother over there, because he's he going to use the atrocities that they did against our people in South Africa when they supplied Israel, I mean, when they supplied uh, uh, South Africa with weapons to murder our people that was out there protesting for human rights in Johannesburg, Soweto, Sharpville. They're going to use that as, a, as one of the things in, the, in, the, in the, uh, case to the, not in the International Criminal Court, and that's a wise thing to do to use their history against them and stuff. And like you said, Elliot, it's so damn sad. Where's your black leadership at? Where's these punk-ass Negroes to stand up with these, with these, with the brothers of Africa and give us some juice? They know the damn truth, but they so damn cowardly. The Hakeem Jeffries, the Mix, the Dwight Evans of the world. These Negroes need to be ran the hell out of town on the rail. And right, and lastly, right here in the city, you got this Negro city council president. I stand with Israel, man. I'm telling, man, I'm telling you, man. These Negroes make my blood boil. I can't take these niggas, these Negroes no more. They make me sick, man. God, they sickening, man. God. Well, I'm, I'm off. I'm getting too emotional tonight. These niggas, they just make my pressure go up. I can't stand them. They're disgracing this life, and they're disgracing the next life. Thanks, Ellie. Put me on mute, and I listen to the rest of the show. Yeah, well, uh, go, go ahead and relax. <laughs> Bring the temperature down. <laughs> talk, talk to you. Talk to Thanks, you. Thanks, Elliot. Right. Peace. <laughs> Richard? Yes, yes. You come to the end of another program. You know what, Richard? I, I made a mistake, too. Uh, I might have to call. You know what? I I got to start putting this stuff down and uh, do something. I, I don't do something different. Because, uh, you know, I was supposed to broadcast that, uh, that uh, the Black Agenda teaching, you know, that. Uh, right, right, right. And, and I. Uh, mm. Yeah, well, I, I'll what I'll try to do is try to get the uh, the audio and and play it on the uh, the website and, and make it accessible to people. I hope she don't uh, bite bite my head off when I talk to her because I was <laughs> I was supposed to broadcast it. Okay, no problem. Yeah, so uh, I want to apologize to uh, her. She's listening to the program. Um, and and uh, the time for waking the audience that uh, that heard me say that I was going to broadcast it, uh, uh, Doctor uh, Akila, I'll, I'll probably give her a call tomorrow and uh, try to get the the audio of it and uh, and play it, uh, you know, on the site and maybe play it on a Friday or something where the people can hear what, right. what happened. Okay. Good. <clears throat> uh, Richard, uh, come to the end of another program, man. It was. Uh, uh, we'll start formulating uh, uh, our calendar for the rest of this month and next month leading into uh, Black History Month on the calendar, although 12 months a year is Black History Month as far as we get concerned. But uh, I think we can line up some interesting programs going forward. Okay. Before we go, uh, give the lineup on time for working media Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives with Brother Oshie, always interesting topics. And dialogue on African perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on in the week, on Thursdays, Mississippi on the move, the Black Liberation Movement down in Mississippi. Brother Patrick, uh, Brother Rodney Lowe, Brother Dove Zach, Brother Malik Hayes, Sister Crystal, several of the hosts on uh, Mississippi on the move. That's Mondays. I mean, that's Thursdays from uh, 7 to 9 on Time for an Awakening Media on Fridays, Time for an Awakening from 8 until on Saturdays, the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James' host from 7 to 9 
And on Sundays, time for an awakening is back from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion, as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, Your children playing after school. They seem to be so unaware. I know, I know the things that they'll soon have to take care of.
save the children.